Welcome to Bickering Peaks with Aiden and Lindsay. You're Lindsay. You're Aiden. That's right. And this is Bickering Peaks. I sure hope so. I sure hope so too. Uh, and this week we're talking about Firewalk with Me. Yeah, again. Again. Um, we did, like you said, a, a week, a Fire Week with us mm-hmm. back in. Well, right before the premiere. Of yeah, the it was return. like yep. it was like the week before, two weeks before the return premiered, and. Uh, we covered a lot of ground, obviously, mm-hmm. five episodes of <laughs> conjecture and theories. Um, but this time we decided to return to it post-return mm-hmm. and kind of see what um, insights we managed to find or that came up out of nowhere since watching The Return. Yeah. And I'm wondering, well, before we get into that, though. Yes. We have something to mention about last week's episode, yes, two so weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we talked about Wild at Heart. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to, if you're a regular listener, you remember that podcast episode, you will recall that neither one of us had much positive anything to say <laughs> yeah, about to say. the film. Yeah, in short. Uh, and I think in being so um, critical... Mm-hmm. Negative. Critical is a good word. Critical of the film. We might have missed a few things. Yeah. And one of them was really interesting, brought up by one of my fellow editors at 25 Years Later site, Rob King. He brought up a really fascinating idea related to the return that we just had to share with you mm-hmm. because it's holy really crap, good. it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. So Rob says, when Dell, so cousin Dell, is writhing on the floor in his underwear, painfully, desperately holding a gardening glove down in a taped-off square on the floor with a yardstick. In the making of featurette, Crispin Glover says it was actually one of his most direction-informed roles. David said to him about that scene in particular, Dell, if you let that glove up, something absolutely terrible is going to happen. Glover says he believed him and played it that way. And it wasn't green per se, more black, but I'm still saying for my mental connection that it was the missing glove from the box that the fireman led Freddie Sykes to. This could also connect Dell's madness to the Lodge denizens. So Rob sent this to me on Slack, on our 25 Years Later team Slack, and blew my mind because, holy shit, of course, doesn't that make like a whole lot of sense? It sure does. I, I, I mean, yeah. how did we forget that? <laughs> It, it was not an obvious jump for me because the character of Dell is so out there. True. And you're just kind of like, what is... The, you're trying to figure out his connection to the plot, of yeah. which in the original cut there isn't one. Uh, it's literally just a character who pops in, does some weird stuff, and then disappears. But I love the theory. I think it's great. Yeah. I think that is that is a great tie-in. Absolutely. So it, it kind of... I mean, for those of you who uh, really buy into this whole... Um, quote-unquote lynch verse or you know a, a unified field theory mm-hmm. of lynch's <laughs> works i mean the gardening glove whether it's black or green or purple or whatever uh that rubber glove crops up here crops up 20 uh, 25 years later in the return yeah, yeah that's yeah. gotta mean something <laughs> yeah that's really fascinating mm-hmm. and uh thank you rob for bringing that to our attention um if you're curious uh, when I explore that idea more, definitely um, hit Rob up on Twitter. He is at Rob Ed King. Uh, or, you know, f- hit us up in our mentions and we will tag him in and uh, have a nice long discussion about gardening gloves. Which is something you only say <laughs> on a David Lynch podcast. Absolutely. Most other podcasts well, don't bring that kind of Well, horticulturally, maybe. If you, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> if, we, if we decided to change this uh. to, like, literally talking about trees or you know nature mm-hmm. bickering peaks and we, we literally talked about like mountain peaks we might bring up gardening gloves in it that might come context. up yeah but probably not probably not <laughs> anyway fire walk with me fire walk with me so Aiden I know you love this film a lot I do this is like one of your favorite Lynch films probably yep. and it's my favorite I I think I'm safe to say that now my favorite piece of Twin Peaks really yep. more than the return more than the return wow yep I did not know that about you. Yep. So why is it so, why is it at the pinnacle of this Peaks experience for you? Well, because it, it's something I think I've mentioned a, a year ago for Fire Week with us, which is that it is Laura's story. And mm. that's what was always behind Twin Peaks. And you get it here and you get it 
right in the face with a green gardening glove. That's how strong <laughs> of a punch it brings. And I, uh, yeah, I love that. And I think it's, it really is central to everything. And it has this great mix. There's the whole opening sequence that is bizarre and doesn't really tie into anything. But for hardcore fans, you're like, oh, this is, this is more of the mystery that we're getting. And then it has the whole Laura storyline. And it's absolutely spectacular. Um, and you you get some supernatural. You get her actual life. And you don't get that clear answer of, you know, was it Bob? Was it Leland? Was it a mixture? Was What is Bob? You know, all those questions that I think the return answers a little too clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I loved the return for answering it clearly, it did, you know. It, Wait, it, the return answered something well, clearly? Well, some things <laughs> like where did Bob come from? You mm. know, it, there's some strong hints of, of that and stuff. Right. Uh, Firewalk with Me doesn't care about any of that. It cares about Laura. It's focused on Laura, and it does a great job of that. And especially, I know you're not a huge fan of it, but uh, the Q2 fan edit um, that ties the missing pieces back in, I find adds so much value to um, the mythos for sure. I mean, the I think I said this last year, you know, that, that six to eight minute sequence of uh, David Bowie's character, uh, Philip Jeffries, just doing his thing. Uh, mm-hmm. When it's fully shown and explained, it adds a lot. Um, it's very clear, finally, what he's talking about, the meeting above the convenience store that he witnessed. Um, I think that's really cool for the return, especially. I mm-hmm. mean, the fact that we return to not just uh, the convenience store, literally above it, but also uh, we see where that is in the larger picture mm-hmm. um, in terms of the the rooms, the building with the flower paneling and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Wallpaper. Yeah. Uh, so the yeah, Dutchman's or whatever. The Dutchman's, whatever it's called, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that stuff's really interesting to me and we start to get that in Firewalk with me. Right. Uh, it's like, I really, really wish David Lynch had made all three movies that he wanted to set in the Twin Peaks universe. Cause Back in been, 91 or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish, I really wish people gave Firewalk with me more of a chance than, than they did uh, because those two movies could have explained so much and added so much that, you know, we probably got some of that 25 years later, but uh, it was never, never the way... Uh, it was envisioned in, in that. I mean, if you designed this movie as one of a trilogy, there were going to be pieces that were left to hang, and that's unfortunate. So, But anyways, that's a long-winded explanation of why I love it. How did you feel after watching it again? Um, well, I've always liked it. I, I think the first time I watched it, like I said last year, I, I was not a fan of it. It didn't hit the right notes for me, I think. It was too graphic. and mm-hmm. um, But I've come to really appreciate it a lot more it's not my favorite part of the Twin Peaks universe but there are parts of it that are definitely like if I had to single out moments or scenes they would be from Firewalk with me there would be scenes from there that would fit into the my top 10 list or whatever throughout Twin Peaks but um but yeah, I think you make a good point about the the whole Bob Leland dichotomy, which we did a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who really killed Laura Palmer um, back in January or February of last year? Um, kind of thinking about that question and and where the culpability lies. And I think uh, the original series maybe hinted at things that were uncomfortable for some people. The idea that it was uh, something supernatural as opposed to something earthbound that, that, mm-hmm. you know, that it was, uh, or, or sorry, the opposite of that, that it was, well, that, that it was just evil in men, but that fire walk with me then takes it to that other place and says that it, it is some, there is something supernatural here. So it does answer some of that question, but it doesn't, that you don't see, um, I, I, and I said this before, Leland or Ray Wise playing Leland, possessed by Bob and then Leland who seems to be released by that mm-hmm. that split is really fascinating to me and I think it's it's one of the greatest acting performances I've seen is is the way that Ray Wise navigates that and I think that in itself makes the whole story far more complex because it's not just either or there's a mix of it being Leland and Bob so there's culpability across the board there and I mm-hmm. think that that complicates things really nicely unfortunately for (laughs) for the plot and for Laura but it you know as a viewer it it adds that level of complexity that's really um interesting to grapple with Mm. um I don't think it gives us any more answers and I'm I'm not sure that I mean you mentioned Aiden that that that's part of what you liked about it is that you you kind of like having those answers 
Um, and I kind of fall on the other side that I like the open-endedness. As much as I complained about it at the end of Part 18 that well, I wanted... Did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted some more closure. Yeah. But, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't have this the way it is now if, if we had closure. So, mm-hmm. I mean, um, I appreciate Firewalk With Me for not giving up too many of its secrets mm-hmm. and for leaving their, leaving so many doors open. Um, what do you think about the Dear Meadow prologue section in light of um, the return? Because I think one of the yeah. things that came up in the conversations about the return, especially uh, with the secret history of Twin Peaks, mentioning explicitly Chet Desmond and Sam Stanley. And then... Were they mentioned in the final dossier? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. no, just the secret history. So a lot of people were like, oh, well, that blows the whole dream theory out of the water because these people were real and they, they actually existed. But after watching The Return, I almost feel like there's more. It, there's more yeah. yeah, like it, it's more likely that this is Cooper's dream. Maybe when he's spent 25 years in the Red Room, this mm-hmm. is his dream of, of what happened. Of what happened. Banks, yeah. So how do you how do you feel about that? That Dear Matter prologue now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's it has so many dreamlike qualities, people repeating themselves, people walking in and out, the the tonal shifts that happen. It matches very closely in a lot of ways to uh, what happened in within the context of Fire Walk With Me, Laura's dream, which I know we've talked a bit about and we'll talk about more later on. But uh, Laura's dream sequence has all those uh, Lynchian tropes of a dream sequence. The one where she's in bed and she goes into yes, the painting. Exactly. right? Uh, and... The Dear Meadow prologue contains not it's not filmed exactly that same way, obviously, but there are there are enough uh, pieces that that feel dreamlike mm-hmm. um, to definitely lend itself. It feels like a Cooper dream. <laughs> you know, Laura's yeah. dreams might be a little more uh, crazy, but uh, and I, I'd argue that Cooper's craziest dreams are when Laura's involved. Um, but it feels like a Cooper dream. Mm-hmm. Like it's a bit more rational, it's a bit more uh, intuitive, makes a bit more sense. Um, but it's it still has that dreamlike quality for sure. So I, I I I love it. I yeah. I'm over the moon for the whole movie. So uh, I really you don't ask me anything more about that because my answer is going to be the same. Just I love it. <laughs> but you definitely still think that this is possible. It's like John Thorne's mm-hmm. dream theory is yep. not tarnished. Absolutely. Um, and I know I know Lindsay wants to talk about theories a lot because you've got a bunch well, out of watching again. You're like. <laughs> what about this? That means this in the return. And I was, I was just watching it to enjoy the movie again. We just watched it again a couple days ago. Uh, and definitely there are some points uh, that pique my interest, especially the stuff that they call back to within the return. Well, that's the, that's what I wanted to talk about first was mm-hmm. just all the different things. We, You know, going back through Mark Frost and David Lynch's back catalog, as we've been calling it, is kind of the point of all of this was to try and find links and things that they were pulling from to put into the return. And, and mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, David Lynch said, explicitly that Firewalk With Me was going to be important. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just from a, a plot standpoint or thematic standpoint, but there are very specific things in Firewalk With Me that come up in the return in really strategic places and very interesting things I definitely do want to talk about those. Okay. But let's start with just the the basic things that struck us. I have a list. Aiden you have a list. Doesn't I have a don't list, have but... a list at all. So by all means, go through the list, Lindsay. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you have Lil, right? Mm-hmm. Right off the bat, you've got Lil, this this dancing Lil, who reminded me so much of Gordon's French woman in the the hotel scene when he's talking to Albert and then they have similar dresses well no and I mean uh I think it was Laura Stewart yes it was decoding Gordon's French woman um on 25 years later site that she wrote up about uh how her actions the French woman in the return um mirror in some way the non-verbal or at least non-English because I think Gordon's French woman does speak a a few words in French but uh, very similar to the way that Lil does all these actions that need to be interpreted. And it's very explicit in Firewalk With Me that Gordon has put this woman there in order to challenge Chet to come up with... The right clues. Yeah. The right clues. Yeah. Or the answers to the clues, anyway. Yeah. And I said at the time that it seemed like Gordon's French woman was put there by Gordon to test Albert. Yes. Which I still think might be true. And I, I still, <laughs> we're doing this rewatch with 25 Years Later site 
the return rewatch thing and um, we haven't got to those parts yet but I'm still suspicious of of Albert I don't know how to how to, how he fits into all of this because there's thing there are things that he does that are just strange and it feels like Gordon doesn't trust him as much as maybe he might have previously because of the things that happened in part four when Albert admits that he gave Philip Jeffrey some information to help Cooper um, and didn't tell Gordon about it. So, I mean, there's there are things that are happening there that make me suspicious of him. So I, I kind of buy that Gordon might set him up and have him, you know, observe this woman hoping that he would pick up on these clues and he doesn't, you know? I don't know. I kind of I kind of like that that mirroring of it. I suppose. I mean, I I was on the record then, and I'll stand by it now. Was saying I don't think that meant anything. I right. think it was just vamping for the sake of it, and it was one of the parts I liked the least about the return was mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just I don't I don't think it makes a lot of sense to have a scene like that included and have that meaning um, be hidden from the viewer. Uh, it worked in Firewalk with me because we had Chet then walk them through what it meant. Right. Um, for, you know, for uh, Gordon, Gordon yeah, did, for Cole to, you know, to explicitly create this test and then not inform the viewer in any way doesn't really work for me. And and that's one of the things that mm-hmm. about the return that, that, that bothered me and this I'm on the record of saying this, that, uh, you know, there are parts of the return that just linger and they just hang there and they are disconnected from everything else and they don't add anything. And that scene was one of them for me. So I feel like... It's fine. I, I totally get the urge to want to tie, jump back in there and tie it all together. Um, but it just, for me, it just doesn't. And I feel like that was a, a weakness of the return. I guess I, I see what you're saying, but I disagree in the sense that nothing that David Lynch does is accidental. Like, he doesn't leave these things in just for fun. Mm. Like, he, there's a reason for it. Well, maybe to a certain <laughs> extent, but I think a scene like that has some kind of reason for being there. So maybe maybe that reason is just to set a tone or a mood or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I think having, you know, bringing Tammy into the fold as a Blue Rose agent and deputizing Diane and having all these people on the team, in a sense, we're being brought into the team as, you know, passive viewers of what's happening. But Albert has been on the team since the beginning. And it really is clear that he and Albert aren't speaking the same language at that, in the, at that moment. So... So that just seemed to me to to hammer home that, you know, Chet and Stan, and Sam Stanley were, you know, Sam wasn't up to the same level as Chet was, but he picked up on things. He picked up on the stitching on the dress and mm-hmm. the blue rose and that kind of thing. Albert just seems to be annoyed. And, and maybe that is just it, that these two have had such a long friendship and a long working relationship that, you know, as people do, they just get fed up with one another. Maybe that's all that was meant to be, but it yeah. was just, yeah. No, I, I mean, definitely. I mean, I remember when that scene happened, people were already drawing the comparison to mm-hmm. Lil and absolutely the, the way, um, I mean, just the fact they're both women in red dresses doing weird things, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the parallels are there. It's just, I didn't, I didn't personally buy into it, but absolutely continue with the list, <laughs> Lindsay. Uh, so we had the, um, 4.30 showed up on the t- on the clock in mm-hmm. the morgue. Yeah. That was brought up by one of our followers, Serge Braverman, I think, mm-hmm. um, was the one who brought that up a few weeks ago. And that just, probably just a coincidence, but I noticed it. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure what that means, if anything. I uh, really liked that there was a guy named Jack. His, in the, and Aiden laughs at me when I say this, but in the Hapsteiner scene, there's say goodbye to Jack is is what is written on this guy's name tag. Yeah. And I looked up the actor who played Jack and the actor who played Jack in season three in The Return. And they, they do bear a, a resemblance. They both a have... Resemblance, yes. yes. But I just thought, you know, if we're going to have... I, I mean, we, we know that Twin Peaks uses the same names over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually in pairs, you've got Mike and Bob and Mike and Bob. Mm-hmm. Or Mike and Bobby. Bobby, yeah. Uh, so to have two Jacks, I just, you know, it struck me as funny. <laughs> Especially because they're both minor characters with well, yeah, no lines. And they, really. Yeah, and they yeah. don't really do much, but um, but they seem to be mysterious characters. So Well, and it, it is kind of interesting that uh, in the extended cut of Fire Walk With Me, uh, that, that scene where they're talking to them in the 
the kind of back room it has mm-hmm. is is expanded a little bit. You get a bit more about Jack, and he gives a bit more history about how he didn't know mm-hmm. Teresa Banks and, and stuff. And there's this this lightning in the background. There's right. the flickering light. You know, yeah. it's very obviously a lodge. You know, spirit kind of feel in that room. Adjacent lodge. Adjacent. Exactly. And then uh, <laughs> the next time we meet a Jack, uh, Cooper's there, or well, Mister C, C is there. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. There may be nothing to that, but it just things that mm-hmm. you're you know, noticing. When you do you're, a stream of consciousness thing. It's good. Um, there's a French woman in the in the Hap's Diner scene. Yep. Uh, just for another French woman. Another French woman. One of the things that I really liked, though, is in when Chet and Sam are talking at the counter. Uh, Chet asks him, "What time is it?" And uh, Sam's like, "It's late." Or Chet goes, "It's late," and Sam goes, "No, it's early. <laughs> it's really early." And that that kind of questioning of yeah. not really knowing where you are well, when or you when are. you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really brought up like, "What year is this?" Or is it future? Or is it past? Mm-hmm. Right? Th- those kinds of things come up and just bubble to the surface and were really explicit this time around. And I, I couldn't help but think that, you know, it's, it is kind of in a way a dream like scenario Mm -hmm. when you're in a dream, time moves differently, time moves strangely. And, And I'm not even just talking about sleeping dreams. I'm, you know, when you're in your mind, when you're not mm-hmm. really fully present in a physical sense you're daydreaming time moves faster or slower or whatever so um that seemed to be coming up so it, it did reinforce that whole deer meadow dream idea i don't know if that no absolutely i i totally bought that one for sure i mean then that comes up a lot um the sense of time and mm-hmm. uh place i mean the other dreamy thing about it is the way they just chet just wanders off to the uh the Tremont trailer and the Chalfont and Cooper does the same thing exactly, too, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And and then the the other dream imagery things that come up again are like people repeating themselves, mm-hmm. um, especially Sam with "We need a good wake me up," and mm-hmm. that's the point yeah. when uh, I've, a few people have pointed out that that seems to be the moment when the dream starts to yeah, really closing, assert yeah. itself, yeah. and you get that strange woman who shows up at the trailer who I think Christian Hartleman is uh, on the record as saying that that's her trailer. He believes that this is actually her trailer and that she's been kind of forcefully removed in order to make it this look like it was Teresa's trailer, but it's not actually. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's part of some kind of police or uh, conspiracy of some sort. Probably lodge conspiracy of some sort. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, that uh, lends itself quite nicely to that interpretation that the Deer Meadow prologue is still some kind of dream world. Um, And especially with um, when we finally meet Philip Jeffries in the Philadelphia offices and he says explicitly that we live inside a dream. So, I mean, people have talked about this a lot that that, um, Fire Walk With Me seems to be playing with that border between dreaming and, and reality or at least different states of reality. And that's even more explicit with Twin Peaks because mm. that's also something that Cooper says as he's watching the whole yeah. scene unfold in the sheriff's station is that I mean, we live inside a dream. Frozen, yeah. yeah, and I mean, Gordon in his Monica Bellucci dream sequence says that, or well, Monica Bellucci is the one who says it, that mm. we are the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. So I mean, that that to me just suggests that, I mean, I don't know what's real anymore. Mm-hmm. And... It might as well be a dream for all, you know. Yeah. But having said that, there is something very oddly realistic about the Deer Meadow sequence compared to the Twin Peaks, like the original series, in the same way that the uh, Sheriff's Station and all the Twin Peaks scenes in The Return are very different from the Odessa scenes at the end of, of yeah. Part 18. Yeah. That there's this... It's almost like the Twin Peaks scenes in season three are uh, caricature or cartoonish compared to the way, or at least let's look at Agent Cooper, right? The happy-go-lucky coffee-drinking pie-eating Agent Cooper in the original series and in Mm -hmm. the last two parts of, or at least in part 17. Very different from the quote-unquote Richard Cooper who wakes up in Odessa and goes to the diner and... um, 
fries the deep guns. fries the guns. Yep. So yeah, I mean that to me, thinking back on that as I'm watching Fire Walk with me, it, it kind of reminded me Chet Desmond a little bit and Sam Stanley had the they're still very cartoonish in, in some ways but there was a, a realistic quality to it that kind of reminded me of Party Teen I don't know if you felt that at all or no not at all I thought it was even more cartoonish was and, it really? and the dream sequence feel uh, definitely added to that like mm-hmm. and that that's that's uh one of the more interesting parts is kind of considering the uh, the entirety of Twin Peaks up to part 17 and 8 or really part 18 until Odessa um as being not real. It's it's it is all a dream, literally. Yeah. Um, and it's it's our collective dream, perhaps. It's it's a fiction of some sort. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be like it's like you've said a couple times. It doesn't have to be a sleeping dream. It's just a dream world that we've mm-hmm. dreamed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cooper tries to take her back, you know, to to that dream in in some respects. Um, in which case, you know, everything about <laughs> all of these sequences could be considered in that uh, that way. But yeah, I I I agree. I think it's. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting re-examination of the feel of Twin Peaks when you come, to the return, sorry, uh, when you come back to Firewalks Me mm-hmm. and, and you kind of look for those similarities and continuities and discontinuities and everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting. Well, and especially if, uh, if we are supposed to call into question or if people are calling into question what's, what is really Twin Peaks and what isn't, mm-hmm. then this whole Dear Metal prologue, if it's a dream within a dream, it's even further removed from mm-hmm. reality, yeah. uh, which is kind of, it's interesting to uh, to think about. And if that is Cooper's dream as well, if Cooper's always been the dreamer maybe or something, you know. That, or Richard has been. Or Richard, <laughs> Richard Cooper, yeah. whoever. Yeah. That, that does feel very appropriate. Yeah. Nighttime is my time. Moving into Laura's story, mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know. I think this is always the hardest part for me because it is. I mean, you get a third of the story that's reminiscent of the Twin Peaks that you know and love. There's coffee and there's all that kind of stuff, and then you jump into this Laura story, which mm-hmm. is so harrowing. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, the last seven days of Laura's life. It's not going to be happy-go-lucky and no. even the funny parts and even the light-hearted parts are. <laughs> really dark yeah you know like laura and donna talking about their ideal boys and and whatnot and i mean it's just donna's innocence is so contrasted to laura's you're not the (laughs) opposite of innocence yeah that it's it's painful almost you know and how does laura function in this relationship or in all of her relationships trying to balance the horrible things that are happening to her and this world that's kind of going on without her mm-hmm. around her. Um, but there are still things that are really, that are really interesting to bring up. And uh, I think they all kind of start with, with her dream. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I had this major insight. So by all means, let's no, I've been away. talking a lot. I just, why don't nope. you tell me, first of all, <laughs> what is it about the dream sequence? Like you've brought it up already once. So what is it about the dream sequence? that is so captivating well it feels like a dream it the the way things don't make sense the way they jump from reality to reality mm. um i mean the whole annie sequence which you're going to be talking about i'll just summarize it briefly because it's really it really captures what's so crazy um about a david lynch dream sequence is that laura wakes up in her bed she feels like she wakes up first of all and she has to drag her arm over which is you know herring because we know what happened with Teresa Banks Um, and she looks to the doorway looks back and in her bed next to her is Annie Blackburn Mm -hmm. who gives her the speech about I'm with Dale in the lodge Um, and then Laura's not nonplussed she's like yeah okay it's Annie Blackburn who I've never met with bleeding nose sitting in my bed in a full dress you know whatever and then she looks back at the door and then when she looks back and Annie's not in bed anymore. That's the scary part of this. And that's when the scary music comes up and she gasps and she looks in her hand and she has the ring in her hand. This is moments after, of course, Cooper told her not to wear the ring mm-hmm. or don't take the ring. Um, I mean, that that and then she gets up and she goes to her door um, and you think, OK, well, what, is she awake now? Like, what's going on? Like the first time you watch this, you really don't. The border between her being awake and falling asleep is very, very confusing. Um, and then she goes to her door. She looks out in the hallway. There's nothing there. And then she looks back at the, the the wall hanging again, and then all of a sudden she's right back inside the flowered room, uh, you know, above the convenience well, store. Well, I mean, she looks back at the painting, and doesn't she see herself yeah, she looking sees herself, out the door? And then all of a sudden she's in yeah. that situation. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I mean, that is just, 
that is so how dreams work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just you you can jump from one location to another mm-hmm. um, just because it piques your interest and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm in that painting. Now I'm in that painting, you know, and that's just how quickly it works. Right. Um, and I mean, that sequence is just absolutely amazing. Um, and it does have the the famous line of Cooper saying, don't take the ring, Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably to, to save her life um, is what we've come back to even after all of this. Or is it to save his life? Well, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, in the end, Cooper does both maybe it's really hard to tell what happens with cooper um because of this because does cooper still get drawn in the final dossier says that he came to investigate even after um when it was just run at pulaski mm-hmm. who was wounded and laura was just missing so cooper maybe theoretically still wound up going into the red room right. for 25 years right. um but we, we don't know um, but the fact is that throughout his whole time, he's been trying to save Laura's life. Yeah. Um, and first of all, by saying, don't take the ring so that you can become Bob, I guess. I mean, I don't know why he would want that, but uh, it's maybe better than death in his mind. Um, and then, yeah, in the return, he actually does go and save Laura's life. And that was something we talked about leading into the uh, to the return. We were talking about, well, does Cooper, why did he say don't take the ring? And that was one of the theories was that, well, he wants to save Laura's life so badly um, but that's not a good thing because Laura found yeah. salvation. We talked about this already. Yeah. Um, but it really played out almost as we predicted in the return, which is interesting to watch mm-hmm. now again. Uh, but what what struck me this time around was that there seems to be, just like Cooper splits in the finale of season two, mm-hmm. um, coming back to John Thorne's uh, essay, Half the Man It Used to Be, which was in the Essential Wrapped in Plastic, um, there seems to be some kind of a split here in Laura as well. And I couldn't find, I know I've read this somewhere that, that other people have mentioned this as well, that it almost seems like, um, Laura goes into the painting, which we now have a name for that place. Maybe that's the Dutchman's, Mm -hmm. but at the time it was just the lodge, right? Mm -hmm. It was, this was maybe the black lodge or something. Right. So she goes into this place and is it possible that her doppelganger comes out and that her doppelganger is the one who is murdered in the train car? And this was kind of a conversation that I remember reading online somewhere. It might have been on Facebook or something to try and explain how Carrie Page comes into being and who is Carrie Page in the grand scheme of things. Is she the, is she the doppelganger? Did she make it to Odessa or... Is she actually Laura Palmer, who's had her memory erased and her doppelganger was the one who was killed? Like, how does all of that work? And I'm not I'm not sure that's the most interesting thing, but a few weeks ago during the Emmy for Your Consideration uh, panel discussion that, or Q&A that they had with David Lynch, Kyle McLaughlin, and Laura Dern, uh, David Lynch was on the record as saying that the Annie Blackburn scene in, in Fire Walk With Me was what kind of, he said it led to a string of dreams. And I think he's talking about himself and how that's that was his entry point for coming back into the world of Twin Peaks. But reading that quote again in recent days, because I think Twin Peaks Archive was the one who uh, on Twitter brought up that dreams are a very important thing to look at mm-hmm. in the context of Twin Peaks. And if you looked at season three and you focused on the scenes or the mentions of dreams, you might have a, a chance of unraveling the mystery if that's your goal. So to have David Lynch talk about a string of dreams, which comes up from Annie's appearance, appearance and, and her words to Laura, um, I, I watched Firewalk with me with that in mind, and it really struck me that when Laura looks at the door and then looks back and sees Annie... She repeats that motion almost identically when she looks back and doesn't find any. And I thought to myself, what if this is not the same dream? What if these are two dreams? What if these are two separate parallel things, events, timelines, whatever you want to call it, that are happening, splitting off from this moment? You know, Laura gets this painting and it's a portal. It's a gateway. It's somehow breaking down uh, reality around Laura in preparation for Bob to take over or something. I don't know. But if it's split reality into two streams in this moment, and we're seeing both of those streams, you've got one stream in which Laura receives a message from Annie and writes it in her diary, which we know that Frank Truman and 
Deputy Hawk find in the bathroom stall in part five? Five or six. Or se- yeah, yeah, six? Around there. Seven? <laughs> in in uh, season three. So we know that Laura did write it in her diary that she saw Annie. But we also know from the final dossier that there's a timeline out there that uh, Laura isn't dead. Mm-hmm. She's missing. Um, and it's questionable whether or not you want to continue, like, put the books into the canon of Twin Peaks. But undoubtedly, at the end of Part 18, we see that Laura did not end up washed up on the beach. That mm-hmm. she didn't die because she was removed from that timeline. Sorry, that was Part 17. Yeah. She was removed from that timeline. And that that event didn't take place because Cooper intervened mm-hmm. the night at, on Sparkwood in 21 and took... Laura from the woods. Yes. So what if that's the end result of the timeline where Laura didn't see Annie and didn't have, didn't get that message from Annie and didn't write it in her diary and that that timeline led to her being missing, being taken from the woods instead of. But Cooper's what led to that. I understand that. And I don't think that Annie is necessarily the reason that Cooper leads to that. I'm just saying that this is just an indication of two things like two separate streams they're not they're not causing anything they're just indicating that these are two separate parallel i I don't know i i'm not sure that that is it just got the brain because because when you watch the end of firewalk with me and you see that laura does see something in the woods and we know from part 17 that that was cooper well hmm we, we in saw that, that timeline, it was that's Cooper, what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so but then we also see her fall off the bike and run off into the forest, right? Mm-hmm. Then we see her go meet up with Jacques Leo and Jacques and Renette. So if that happened, and Part Seventeen happened, they can't be in the same timeline. Well, yeah. I suppose. There has to be two timelines that are that are existing mm. there. And I'm wondering if this moment, if that dream moment, is the moment when those two timelines are created. If up until that point there was one Laura and one timeline, and then this is where things start to break down, and that that's what the grandmother and the little boy are representing, is the breakdown of, of the timeline into mm. multiple pieces. I suppose maybe it's a possibility. I mean, there, <laughs> it, it would also, you know, it could help explain a few of the other things, like um, some of the other timeline inconsistencies that have popped up uh, when you're watching The Return versus Fire Walk With Me, mm-hmm. for instance. Like the fact that she gave her diary to, uh, what's his name? Harold. Harold Smith, uh, you know, like six days before she was murdered. So she right. couldn't have possibly written down. I, I, you know, the Annie sequence, she couldn't write that down if she gave the diary to it, him then. Yeah. And the pages couldn't have been torn out then. And then, you know, like the pages were torn out before she gave the diary to Harold Smith. Right. So, but she, but didn't she hadn't the, written it she hadn't until written after yet. she'd so, given it to Harold Smith. I mean, it, it does potentially fix some of those things. I'll, I'll grant you that. Um, but I think it's more likely that it's just, it was getting really confusing to write. <laughs> you know, like, oh, for he, sure. When he was, Firewalk with me is notoriously difficult to tie back into the series because you know he had to fit in dr jacoby and uh harold smith and the diary and all these these devices that were created for the tv series which were never supposed to lead to the the reveal of laura's killer um and then all of a sudden in firewalk me he's trying to tie them all back in him and robert engels uh to make it all work together Mm -hmm. um and it struggles a little bit uh in that way because um, there's, you know, again, especially for people who, like Simon and uh, Olivia. Olivia who watched it with us that first time, uh, having never seen any of these characters, characters just popping in and out and leaving yeah. and dying, getting shot and Bobby killed Mike and who's Mike and all these <laughs> things. Right. Uh, so right. it was interesting to to see that happening in the movie. Um, and I think, you know, the return also struggles trying to tie in all the other timeline pieces of um, Firewalk with me and the original series. Well, and I don't think that the point is to try and tie it all in. I think the point is to just accept that that's what's happening. And I've been on the. Mm. We keep talking about being on the record. <laughs> I'm on the record going <laughs> way back to like October when the Secret History of Twin Peaks came out, October mm-hmm. 2016, as saying that there were part parallel universes. Yeah. And we had part 12 or part 14, I can't remember, where we saw the Jackrabbit's Palace converge again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just, I can't look at this world anymore without seeing evidence of multiple timelines. The, the weird things happening in the diner, um, all of these inconsistencies between the show and the diary, the, like the secret diary, the book, mm-hmm. uh, Cooper's autobiography, things that were maybe never intended to be quote-unquote canonical, mm-hmm. but which exist and are part of the universe. And so, you know what? Why not make them part of a canonical series of events in some parallel universe. Maybe there are dozens of them, but I'm just I'm just saying that in yep. the, in Firewalk with me, it is entirely possible that 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 dream world where Laura goes to sleep with the picture on her bed on her wall for the first time, that that could be the place where all of that starts to disintegrate and mm-hmm. all of that starts to break apart. And it's it's fascinating too to watch Firewalk with me and hear Ronette talking about remembering. I remember. Teresa Banks in the pink room scene and we know how much memory plays into Gordon and Albert not remembering the Philadelphia scene Mm -hmm. that we had just seen with Philip Jeffries and Albert and Cooper and um, when he comes back from Buenos Aires and Mm -hmm. the room above the convenience store Um, if if these are dream worlds that are created by the dreamer there's an element of memory in that. And as we've talked about many times, countless times over the course of this podcast, memory is a subjective thing. And so what you remember and what objectively happened, it's it's going to be really hard to make those match up perfectly. Mm-hmm. There almost is no objective reality because the subjective just yeah, pushes just its push way into away. it. And then you get into this quantum physics conversation a little bit right where well you do well but i mean it's hard not to because if if the subjective experience affects objective reality Mm, well or if there is no objective reality yeah well there's none that we can access anyways i mean uh, yeah yeah don't for sure i mean it's uh, yeah sure i i will say sure to that whole thing because i mean you're right i mean it's it's a potential way of looking at it i think it's i think it's uh, needlessly confusing and uh but how is it confusing not confusing i guess because i'm not trying to explain i'm not trying to explain all of it i'm saying that like i'm not going to sit there and plot out the whole i'm going to let john bernardi do that (laughs) if he wants to plot out timelines Mm -hmm. he's the kind of guy who would do that i'm not interested in i i I don't have the brain for that but i'm just saying that the possibility exists so it it allows for it's maybe a lazy explanation, I guess, because it says, oh, yeah, well, these inconsistencies are just a result of, you know, this being true in one timeline and not in another. But, yeah. Well, and, and that's what's kind of working for me is if you just say, oh, well, those timelines are ways of explaining the differences and stuff like that. That I'd be fine with that. Honestly. And that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, I just don't know if it's, if it's true or not. I don't know, but I'm willing to allow it. Continue. By all that's all I have. That's it. That's it. That was your whole theory. That's my. Well, I, I don't think I don't think it's a complete theory. It's the germ of a theory. No, we just watched good. this the other night. No, no but just... it, it's true. And I remember. I think after our last episode on part seventeen and eighteen, the second time we talked about it. Yeah. Um. I think I remember saying like maybe because I mean, and Mark Frost basically confirmed that there are there's one break in time, and that's when Cooper goes back in time, mm-hmm. and then there's a, a separate timeline for that. Mm-hmm. And we were all wondering like. So if we go through the return, are we going to see things that are in one or both mm-hmm. uh, timelines? Or are we yeah. gonna are we gonna be able to distinguish between the two of them? Are are we seeing them both? Are we all seeing just the prime timeline up until part seventeen, or are we getting snippets of both timelines throughout? Um, and it was really kind of confusing. The only thing I the only hard investigative work I did was go through all the scenes uh, where they're investigating um, what's missing from right. the Laura Palmer case, right. uh, and in. There were, I think there were six or seven scenes, and in them, I think three of them, they mentioned she was killed. Right. The other four were silent on that subject. Right. Whether she was missing or killed uh, wasn't clear. Well, one of them says she died. Yes, one said she died. Right. So yeah. it's unclear if that means, they didn't say she was murdered, but it's possible that 25 years later, someone who's been missing will just be presumed dead too, mm-hmm. right? So. Yeah. And, and there's, so there's stuff like that where it's possible but if it is, it, it's very, very super subtle, and it'll take someone doing a lot more hard work than I'm willing to do to, to pick out which scenes that's happen in exactly, each timeline. That's exactly it. And I think that um, there are people in the Twin Peaks community who are up to that task, and they're probably doing it. I know that there were for inconsistencies between 
the secret history of Twin Peaks and the original series. So, and I mean, having the final dossier really hammer home the point that Tammy exists in a timeline now where Laura Palmer is just missing and Leland Palmer committed suicide. That's a totally different thing that we've seen. We didn't have any concrete proof of that, and it's basically laid out for us in the final dossier. And I'm willing to accept that the final dossier and the secret history are more canonical than mm-hmm. other things, but but it is still just a book. So looking at the series and going through, like you said, and picking out all those pieces and figuring out which timelines they exist in, I mean, there are lots of instances where the same scene is repeated mm-hmm. more than once. Just like Sam Stanley repeating... Mm-hmm. we need a good uh, wake me up yeah. or Laura rolling over in bed. You've got Lucy saying it could make a difference in part mm-hmm. one, you know, and um, that, that kind of thing, I think it is super subtle. And at the time you're watching it and you're just thinking, this is just an odd thing. Yeah. It's, it doesn't mean anything, but when you piece it together, that could be evidence of seeing multiple timelines playing out at once. And I think mm-hmm. it's most explicit in that part 14 scene in Jack Rabbit's Palace or the part 7 scene at the end with um, the diner. Mm-hmm. And it was very distinct. Yeah, too. all the people who move around and mm-hmm. are sitting in one place, but then they're sitting in another or they're not even there. Or they walk into the diner after they just ran out screaming or whatever. Well, and, and remember what the guy who ran into the diner asked was, where's, what's his name? Billy, Billy, which was the focus of the whole Audrey thing. So, is Audrey straddling the two? Well, and this is what I'm. This is yeah. Yeah, because if, and and this this is what I really liked about John's uh, John Bernardi's time quake theory is that it seems like and his early theory was that um, anytime there's interaction or interference from a lodge being, you get. Uh, what he called the time quake and and that's where time would start to shift so um, then you get things like Robert Jacoby having multiple birth and death dates you Mm -hmm. know or the scene in the diner and I think that that's valuable but I think beyond just having you know contact with a lodge being it could just be that Twin Peaks itself has contact with the lodge because the Glastonbury Grove exists you know, and, and there was talk going back to, the, I think, the access guide about fault lines and mm-hmm. things, you know, bubbling up. And in my imagination, I'm thinking, you know, you've got this oil slick up in the forest and right down the crack, if you go into the valley, that's where Big Ed's gas farm is, <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly. And there's this this link between the petrochemical substance up in the forest and what Ed's pumping into everybody's gas yeah. tanks. And and this part of the fabric of Twin Peaks just as much as Laura Palmer is. And so um, all of that coming into play, I think that, that it just was a matter of time before, if there are multiple timelines, it would just start to to collapse yeah. on itself. Yeah. And that's where you see those things happening in, yeah. okay. like in part 14. No, absolutely. And I think it, I think it is... There's enough there that you can you can definitely take that viewpoint and you can roll with it. Um, and I think it's really interesting. I, I don't know if that's... I think that's more of a return thing. Um, I feel like Fire Walk With Me, as great as it is, it told a pretty linear story for the most part. Uh, it doesn't always connect perfectly with either the original series or the return, but it told its own story. It told Laura's story, and it told it in a way that was, that was focused on her uh, emotional not well-being. Because it wasn't well, but her her <laughs> emotional and her unwell being, uh, and and I think that was it's it's great for that. But you you did mention that there were supposed to be two more films, mm-hmm. and David Lynch is uh, he's on the record once more was on the, the record yeah. as saying that time travel and stuff like that was something that he wanted to go into. Yeah. So it's possible that in those two films that were never made, he was going to go down that route, and mm-hmm. then rewatching Fire Walk with Me or revisiting the script or however he came across Annie in the bed which was something he always said Laura wrote it in her diary Mm -hmm. so if that was always meant to happen and if David Lynch revisited that with Mark Frost and then they came up with this story how could I I I totally understand how ideas like quote unquote time travel or parallel universes would come into play Mm -hmm. just based on um, where the interests were and what he said his interests were and and this whole idea of dreams you know, predicating another state of reality, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. 
And that's a, definitely a David Lynch. And then to staple, come back to yeah. that idea about memory as well, being a subjective mm-hmm. thing, but that you need to call on a memory to make that thing real again. So in remembering things, other people start to remember them too, which we saw in whatever part that was, part... 14 or 15 or whatever it was. Whenever, yeah, yeah whenever they remembered the yeah. the yeah, Philip Jeffrey scene. Parents, yeah. uh, or Ronette remembering Teresa. Mm-hmm. You know, like these are, these are things that uh, just really interesting to note as far back as 92, but then they come into play so strongly in 2017 that, I mean, it's just hard not to comment on it. Yeah, definitely. So forgive me my tangent. No, by all means, <laughs> it is a great tangent to go on. He says he wants to be me or he'll kill me. So coming back now to the very end. Yeah. We have Laura dying in the train car. Mm-hmm. And arguably the most um, emotional, pivotal moment in the entire series. Yeah. Up to that point, possibly even including the return. You have Laura getting her angel. Mm-hmm. And... Ascending? Mm, I don't know. I don't think she's ascending. Based on what we see in the return, especially, mm-hmm. I think she's still in the lodge, mm-hmm. um, waiting with Cooper. Or, but maybe not. I mean, it seems like Cooper's fairly lonely in there. And when she just shows up, she kind of just shows up, and then yeah. whatever happens to her happens to her. <laughs> you know, getting torn away again. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what happens to Laura at the end of Firewalk Me. I mean, it's it's obviously. Um, you're supposed to think that it's it's a positive ending. She gets her angel. The angel will take care of her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's confused by what Cooper does in at the end of The Return. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what upset us a lot at the, when we watched the, the last two parts of The Return. was like, no, Cooper, she's fine. She got her angel. Don't worry about it. But, right. you know, he had to be the white knight. Um, and it was it was interesting. I, I Coming back to it again, it, it still has that exact same feel. Um, and it does not answer anything about the return, unfortunately, uh, because it seems like all of that was undone uh, with through the travails of the return. Um, from her getting ripped out of the Red Room screaming uh, to her getting ripped out of the timeline where Cooper's saving her screaming to her screaming at the end as Carrie Page at her, her old house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bunch of Laura screaming. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, at the end of the day, that's what she was really great at. And I feel like Lynch is like, you know what? You just scream and we'll make it, we'll make a story out of it. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's really quite uh, harrowing to watch still, even after all the return, even after everything we know about Laura and her character and her journey and Cooper's interaction with that. Um, Firewalk, to me, to me, still feels like the core of of Twin Peaks and her story is still the most important one. So what if it's not Laura in The Return? Because this Where? is another thing that, that people have been starting to talk about is that if we take it as fact that Laura receives uh, salvation at the end of Firewalk With Me, mm-hmm. Laura's not part of the story anymore. Her doppelganger is still around. Her doppelganger was in the lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, interacting with Cooper mm-hmm. from you know midway through the finale of season two, he also takes cues from Leland in the return to find Laura, mm-hmm. but we don't know which Leland that is. I mean, previously it was the white eyes that you know that was in the lodge, that, yeah. and that was their doppelganger. That yeah. was who you saw, but we've seen that that doppelgangers and beings in the lodge can evolve we had the arm evolve into the evolution of the arm and we had his doppelganger or its doppelganger mm-hmm. evolve as well so the question for me and and it kind of stems from my uncomfortable realization that that laura's story was undone mm-hmm. by the ending of the return if we look at the return as being kind of cyclical and that this is happening um, over and over again. Yeah, and that part 18 brings us right back to the beginning again. Uh, it, it made me wonder if the Laura that we see in The Return, starting in part one, part two, is not actually Laura, that that might actually be her doppelganger evolved into some higher state or, or trying to trick Cooper into... And, and I, I wondered about this also. I was... Uh, I remembering um, the Entertainment Weekly podcast, uh, they were talking about the idea that maybe Cooper was being used as a way to harvest 
the corn, harvest the garmenbosia. And Laura was always intended to be that, um, the perfect being to channel that. That's why Bob wanted her was to, to, to channel that, that pain and suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And he didn't get a chance to do that because she allowed herself to be killed instead. So what if the Lodge was all complicit in this in trying to reverse that in order to capture Laura again? Mm -hmm. And what if Cooper unwittingly played into that? And this was part of the reason why she was sucked out of the Red Room again at the end was because, like, Winda Merle, she didn't play by the rules. Mm -hmm. And her doppelganger lied to Cooper or did something he wasn't supposed she wasn't supposed to do and so she was sucked out but but by that point because the return is cyclical it's already happened yeah and that she is I know I'm (laughs) this is really deep in the weeds I mean it is but I mean it's just it's I'm still so uncomfortable with the idea that 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 ending which is so beautiful and like Laura really gets the goods at the end she's she's happy she's laughing it's Mm -hmm. great but then we get this Carrie Page in front of the Palmer house screaming. Mm-hmm. What if this is, you know, Laura being returned in order to fulfill the role that Bob and the Lodge wanted her to fulfill all those years ago? And so it's not a happy ending at all. She doesn't defeat Judy. She's being subsumed by by the Lodge forces again in order to... Yeah, uh, sh- sure. But you're really reaching out <laughs> into like three or four different theories and combining yeah, them I know. to come to that conclusion. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, I think the... the <laughs> if I were grading an essay on it, if you were writing an essay for a university professor, I don't think they'd, they'd give you very great marks for, for well, reading beyond the text. I you know, just like, came up with it. So it's not like this is... I wouldn't submit this. I would work on it a little bit. You'd, you'd refine, sure, yeah. No, no, and absolutely. I think I think that's what makes this whole thing great is that you can. There's there's so few firm answers that you mm-hmm. can do that. Um, but yeah, I don't buy into it. <laughs> Sorry, hun. That's fine. Yeah, that's why we named the podcast what we did. So I can just say mm, no. Sorry. <laughs> but we can agree that we like Firewalk with me a lot. I think that's the main point, and that. Um, what I what I expected to have happen was that this would um, provoke a lot of conversation and, and discussion and theorizing, and it has. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, it's so exciting. And I feel like having watched it, we watched it two days ago, and that's all I've been thinking about for the last two days. And that's something that I haven't really felt that level of like, you know, I'm not, I, I have, I've slept like eight hours in the last two days because I've been up thinking about Twin Peaks. And that <laughs> hasn't happened since last summer. Yeah. And that... I didn't think that would ever happen again, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, this was valuable about going back and re- revisiting all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think this is all a, pre- a prelude, a pretext for me to say, Aiden, we're going to go back and watch season one and two all over again. Mm-hmm. Yep. After we we're all well, done we will. this, we'll After go back After the podcast, and- <laughs> not for the podcast. We will oh, do- no, no, no. We're going to do it for the podcast. Totally. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> See you guys in two years. Oh. <laughs> but I haven't brushed my teeth yet. But we will actually see you uh, in two weeks. Uh, we are coming back and we are switching from pure Lynch, which we've been doing for the last and couple Frost. of weeks. Well, I mean, Firewalk with me is just Lynch, Lynch exactly. and Angles. Yeah, and so we are coming back with the Mark Frost Project, directed, wrote, produced, everything, uh, Storyville. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what it's about. No idea. No research. As usual, you only get the best here on the VIX. And, uh, but yeah, we'll be back in two weeks to uh, discuss that. In the meantime, Lindsay, uh, prior to, uh, after we've recorded this, prior to posting this, uh, you will be in New York. Yeah. For the Split Screen Festival. Yes. Uh, which is a two-day, three-day TV Well, festival. it runs from May 30th to June 3rd. Second. Well, okay, it's like yeah, it's like it's a it's a good days, yeah. a good few days. But there are panels galore going on at the IFC Center in Greenwich Village, and um, the ones that I'm most interested in, obviously, are the the Twin Peaks ones. So, um, yeah, I'll be there for 25 years later, kind of checking in on the panels and experiencing what it's like to be around that many, not just Twin Peaks fans, but TV fans. And I'll get to meet some of the 25 years later crew who. You know, we've been spread out across the, the globe, world, yeah, really. Yeah. So um, most of the most of the folks coming in are, are from the 
the New not, York-ish not area. too far away from New York City. Yeah, the East Coast of America. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think the furthest west is Illinois. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, me coming all the way from the northern Alberta wilderness. Pretty much. <laughs> it's, it's it's to the Big Apple. That's going to be a big a big change. But I'm um, really excited to go. It's my first time in New York, so. Um, Wish me luck. Yeah. And I'm if you see her, say hi. Yeah. If you see me, say hi. I'll Although be the one be leaving... looking up at all the buildings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one person in New York who's there to see the architecture. Yeah. 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 No, just me. Yeah. No. Well, the big buildings. I've never seen a building that big before, Aiden. What about the ones downtown, Lindsay? Totally going to change the skyline, Aiden. That's an in-joke for all you people who are not privy to this marriage or the conversations <laughs> we have on a daily basis. Why do we do this? I don't know, because it's great. Anyway, enough about us. We're passing it off to you guys. If you have any comments, please hit us up. Yep. We're uh, Let us know if we missed an obvious yeah. Firewalk With Me tie-in to the, to the return. Or if you have a theory or something, if you've watched Firewalk With Me since um, finishing the return... What are your thoughts? What do you think is going on? Mm-hmm. Do, does it fit better or worse? Or how do how do you feel about it? So, yeah, definitely let us know what you think. And, um, yeah, as Aiden said, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with Storyville. Very mm-hmm. excited for that one. Yes, it'll be great. Yeah. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.